You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Uh, as I stated at the beginning of our series on Ruth, so a couple weeks ago, um, that Ruth is kind of a weird book. It reads like a romance novel, kind of in the middle uh, of this dark period in biblical history during the time of the judges. And so what's happened so far in the story um, is there was a, a woman named Naomi and she had two sons and a husband uh, and they, they had to leave their hometown or their homeland of Israel to go to another place because of a famine. So they left Israel, they went to Moab uh, and they settled in Moab for a while. And while they were in Moab for those 10 years, a lot of things happened in that 10 years that they were in exile in Moab. Uh, Naomi's husband died, Elimelech died. Naomi's two sons got married. Yay, that's great. And then both of them subsequently died. Um, So that's less great. And so now after the death of her her final son, uh, she's left with two daughter-in-laws with no sons uh, living in a strange land. And she says, you know what? It's been raining for a while back home. I'm going home. So she says, I'm going home. She tells her daughters-in-laws who've been living with her. She says, you guys stay. You ladies stay. Don't come with me. There's nothing there for you. And uh, after a little bit of encouragement, one of them does indeed stay. The other one, Ruth, um, says, I'm going with you um, no matter where you go. So stop telling me to leave. So she goes and then uh, then they settle back in, in Israel and uh, Ruth is, is trying to help make ends meet. So the mo- mother-in-law, Naomi, sends her off to the fields to pick up after the harvesters. That's how poor people ate back then. They would just pick up the leftover food that wasn't picked up during the main harvest time. And so she wasn't getting necessarily what you would consider to be the prime cuts of meat, or in this case, barley. Um, she wasn't necessarily getting the best of the best, but she was getting enough to take care of herself. She found herself eventually in the field of a man named Boaz. And uh, while she's in the field of Boaz, um, he takes notice of her and gives her special treatment. And so she's given um, the the right to kind of go with the harvesters and do a little bit of harvesting for herself. She's given extra grain from him. So when she goes home after that day of work, she has this amazing amount of food. uh, And her mother-in-law is like, this doesn't seem quite right. Something is going on. Something's fishy. In this story, where were you? And she says, explains it. And she says, oh, that's a good man. Boaz is a worthy man. I think that's the phrase that she uses. He's a worthy man. He's one of our redeemers. Um, stay with him. He'll, he'll take good care of you. And the idea of him being a redeemer is, is a very heavy theme in the book uh, of Ruth. In this period of time, what would happen is you would have a man and his line would continue through his sons. And so um, I have... I don't know how many sons I have. It's tough to count. Three and a half sons, I guess, maybe. Um, so so I, have, I have a variety of sons. I throw the last name of Higginbotham on them eventually, um, and they're mine, right? And so my, my family uh, legacy is intact. My father can be very happy with that, that I've continued the Higginbotham name on for generations. And, and the Higginbothams are, or must, we must be fairly good at this. You know, some of you are like Smiths and Jones and normal names like Wilsons, normal names like that. But a Higginbotham, we have to work hard. We have to think about, you know, if, if I don't have a son, right, I'm slowly killing off my entire family name, right? So we have to be very dedicated uh, to that cause. So I've 
you know, I've provided three and a half. My brother's provided a couple um, up there, including like the, the golden child. My father is Louis Grady Higginbotham Jr. My brother is Louis Grady Higginbotham third. His son is Louis Grady Higginbotham fourth. And I've often joked, you know, once you get past junior, anybody can be any number you want. So, like, you can, I, I could have cut into the line, I could have named Ezekiel Lewis Grady Higginbotham the fifth, and I could have just cut right into the line there, because that's the way that story works. Um, but that's the way, that's the way we do, even now, kind of there's this, this paternal line. It was even bigger back in the Old Testament time. Uh, and so, with this guy, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, losing both of his sons and having no grandson, his family was at risk of being totally wiped out. That means anything that they owned was going to be gone because property got transferred from father to son to son, not to daughter, not to daughter-in-law. And so it was actually a very big deal that his family line was going to be wiped out because whatever property he owned, whatever property was, was gifted to him as being a, a descendant in his family was going to be removed and put back and spread back out or someone else was going to be able to purchase it. Uh, and so it was kind of a, a chaotic moment and a redeemer a kinsman redeemer during this time, could come in and have a child for someone else. And that sounds pretty weird. I agree. The phrasing sounds bad even as it comes out of my mouth. But the picture is this. If you have a woman who's in the family line and you were to marry that woman and you had a son with her, that son continues the property line that was set up by the, the grandfather in this case. So Elimelech's family line would be saved, his property would be saved, his family would be secured if there was a kinsman redeemer who would come in and have a son with him, or with her, with Ruth in this case, or Naomi, but Naomi's past childbearing years. And so when, when, when Boaz is described as a kinsman redeemer, as a redeemer, Naomi is pointing at maybe this man will save our family line, maybe this guy will be the one because he's a close enough relative. I don't know what that makes him exactly, but he was, he was in the line close enough that he could rightly fulfill the role of a kinsman redeemer. And so we pick up in chapter 3 of the book of Ruth, and this is what's going on. It was, was very difficult, hand-to-mouth. If, if the crops weren't in, if the, if the garden wasn't doing well, we weren't doing well. Right, I hear, I've heard stories, some of y'all's stories, I think, man, that's, it's so foreign to me, right? It, it, it doesn't, it's not my life experience. But, but, but that was Ruth's life, and so she saw a chance to relieve that burden, to, to, to connect her to someone who had wealth and land and had the opportunity to provide for her. She said, wouldn't it be good for you to get this rest? And she initiates the entire process of redemption. And then, and then we continue on. In verse 6, and so she went down. I go, Ruth says, I'll do anything you tell me to do. In verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. That doesn't sound comfortable. Uh, but then she came softly and she uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. I like that term, by the way. He's like, he just turns over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? It must be dark. Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Right, so she goes down, she does exactly what her mother-in-law says. 
uh, at the opportune time when Boaz is laid down for the night and he's taking a break from the hard work uh, of separating out his harvest uh, from, 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 from the chaff that's all built around the barley. And so she goes down there. He lays down. He goes to sleep. She uncovers his feet. She lays there. And at midnight-ish, behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he's like, who are you? By the way, men, just so you know, good question to ask, right? That's, that's a good question. If you're ever in this situation... Random woman in your bed in the middle of the night. Who are you, right? And what are you doing here now, right? Who are you? And she, she answers that who she is. He knows who she is as he hears her speak, as, he, as he's able to put this picture out. She says, spread your wings over me for you are a redeemer, right? right? You are uh, able to redeem me. And what, what she's saying is she's requesting him to do what he's able to do. Like, Boaz is, is able to redeem her. He, he's, he's capable of offering redemption to her. He's capable of, of fixing all of the family troubles that, that he has. And so she just goes to him, and she requests it of him. Spread your wings over and basically cover me up, right? Put, put your blanket on me. And, and as he does that, if he were to do that, he's accepting that obligation. He's saying, I will make you, make you, make you mine. And there's all sorts of, like innuendo in this passage right lots of innuendo there's no like easy like oh and what did they do next like that's not expressly stated there's a lot of innuendo right and i think the reason it's like that is it's to build this suspense in there like there's like this whole situation is 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 very sensitive it's a very sensitive situation and so she's laying down there uh naomi initiates uh the redemption process ruth goes down and requests please redeem me. If you are able to do this, do this for me. In verse 10, we pick up, uh, and he said, my, may, may, the, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. That doesn't mean literally his daughter, by the way. Um, you have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow Townsend know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And so she goes there, she requests his redemption, and he, he guarantees she will be redeemed. Right? She, 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 she requests redemption. She says, you're a Redeemer protect me, right? right. You're a redeemer. Give me uh, access to, to, to your thing. You're a redeemer. Save this family line. And he says, I am indeed a redeemer, but there's someone nearer than I. This adds more intrigue, right? Apparently there was like an order of operations, right? So the closer you were to Elimelech, uh, the, the husband, the, the, in, her, in this case, the father-in-law of Ruth, the closer you were in relation to him, you had right of first refusal, right? And some of you have this on deed restrictions out there, right? You got family land out there, and, and, and someone has the chance. If you're going to sell this land, you have to offer it to them first, right? You have to give them a chance to buy that land first because it matters to them more than it matters to other people. A lot of times this happens when you, you, know, you parcel out land and things like that. It's a similar situation here. There was someone closer to Boaz in the town. To Elimelech. And he said, look, that man has right of first refusal, but what I will guarantee you is this, you're getting redeemed. If not by him, then by me. But it's happening 
I guarantee you, this is like the men's warehouse guy all of a sudden, right? I guarantee you. <laughs> that, the men's warehouse guy hadn't been on for, for 15 years. I don't know how he did that lasting legacy of quality advertising that it sticks in my mind so well. Good job, men's warehouse, right? Uh, George Zimmer. I don't, I don't really, maybe I don't want to know what happened to George Zimmer, why he's no longer on my TV. I don't know. Uh, but redemption was guaranteed. So, so Naomi initiates the process. She initiates the redemption process. Ruth requests the redemption to be done. Boaz guarantees that the redemption will be done. And then we have this next thing. It says, verse 14, So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before anyone could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you were wearing and hold it out. And so she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle this today. Alright, so what happens is, is after the night is done, as the sun is just beginning to come up, well, it's still kind of, kind of dusk, he's like, You need to go. Right? Because, like, there was a reputation among women at that day and age that there were some women who would go to the threshing floors in the evening for certain activities that were not necessarily kosher, right? Not necessarily acceptable activities. He didn't want her to get caught up in that, right? Walk of shame stuff. And so he said, I don't want that to be on you. I don't want that burden to be on you. I don't want that stigma to be on you. So you go now. But before you go, let me give you something. He gives her six measures of barley. And the word measure is so weird because we have no idea what that means. Right? Somewhere in the Bible it means like just like a very little bit. And they're like, well, why would she need a full garment? Sometimes it means a whole lot. And we're like, how could she carry it? But he gave her a substantial amount of barley, right? Six times what, what, whatever that measure is. And the idea here is he's like, you're not going home empty-handed. This is a promise to your mother-in-law that what you've come here to do, what you've requested to do, will indeed be done. Uh, and, and she knew, Naomi, when she saw it, knew exactly what it meant because the Right, the, she comes in, she's like, how'd you fare? Kind of explains the situation. She's like, here's this barley. And then as soon as she shows the barley, Naomi's like, this is getting done today. One way or the other, before the sun goes down today, we're going to have this story wrapped up. It'll be a week for y'all, though, so you're going to have to wait, okay? You're going to have to just hold on to it for seven days, right? <laughs> but, but before the sun goes down today, this matter will be solved. This, this redemption issue will be taken care of. The whole story is backwards. Right? It's backwards for, for our modern sensibilities even, but especially in that day, you have a woman going and, 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 and propositioning a man for marriage, right? Which, which is not common even now uh, to have. You have a woman propositioning a man for marriage, right? And then you have the man paying the woman something similar to a dowry, right? Which is something the bride brings to the, or the husband brings to the, no, it's the way. Bride brings to the husband to protect the bride uh, in a situation. Typically, in this case, he's giving the dowry to her to take to her mother-in-law. Right? The whole story is backwards. It's upside down. It's not the way it's supposed to be done, but it's told that way because that is how God works sometimes. Right? The, the whole story is upside down sometimes. Right? And this is the thing that, I, that just really touches me about, about who God is, is that he works inverted to what most of us wanted to be. He was inverted. That's a Top Gun reference for anyone. No, okay, I'm trying my best with 1980s references. You guys are not picking them up. Okay. 
Uh, did that new Top Gun movie ever come out? Did that ever get released? I don't know. Not, not yet. That's disappointing to me in a lot of reasons out here. I should probably talk about, about, about the inversion of the gospel, though. Okay. <laughs> we, we naturally work on like, a, on like an earn-based justice system. Like, if you earn it, we'll reward you with it, right? You, you go to work, you do a good job, you get paid. If you do a good job long enough, you'll get raises, you'll get promotions. There's this earned situation inside of our life. And most of our relationships have some earned component to it as well. If you're good to me, if you show up, if you're there for me, if you're consistent, then after enough time, right, you move from, from an acquaintance to a friend. And if you do that long enough, you can move from a friend to a close friend. If you do that long enough, you can move from a close friend to a lifelong dear friend, right? There is this, this picture of a kind of earning trust and earning things through. The gospel story is somewhat backwards, though, right? We don't earn anything. Right, it's all just backwards. Like God just says, I, I, I love you even though you're not earning it. While we were yet sinners, while you were an enemy of God, while you were wayward, while you were doing your own things, I love you. I chose you. What a, what a beautiful picture that is. And so we see throughout all of Scripture this kind of like, uh, the doc uses the word counterintuitive to describe it, right? When he's talking about the, uh, like the Beatitudes and stuff like that, how it's counterintuitive who's blessed and, and, and who isn't seeming to be blessed by those, right? The gospel is counterintuitive. A lot of the stories in the Bible are counterintuitive because God doesn't work like we work, right? He's not a man like us. He doesn't, he doesn't function like us, and he has a different story in line for us. This story is a story about redemption, uh, but it's also kind of a parable about our redemption. Like, this is a true story about how Ruth is going to save the family line for Elimelech, but for us who know the New Testament, who can look forward, it's a true story about how God initiates our redemption, just as Naomi initiated God's or Boaz's redemption through Ruth. Right? It's a story about how God initiates our redemption. The Holy Spirit initiates your redemption. No one is saved of their own accord. No one is saved because they they they, they want it enough. Right? The Holy Spirit leads us to that point. God reveals Himself. To us, and we have differing views on how that works out exactly, but, um, but but there's this picture that God is involved in initiating salvation. He's the one initiating your redemption, purchasing you back from the dead, saving your family line from from utter destruction, and bringing you on to new life, right? And so God initiates our salvation, our redemption, just as Naomi did, and then we go and request our redemption, just as. Just as Ruth did, right? Ruth goes and makes a bold request like, I don't have anything necessarily to give. I don't have any, any greatness to give, but you are a redeemer. Will you redeem me? That's Ruth's request. It's our request. It's the cry of the heart of every lost soul who comes to Jesus. That at some point we look up, we get to the end of ourselves and we say, Lord, save me. Like, I don't deserve it. I, I don't have enough. I don't, I'm not special. You don't, you don't have to do it. Uh, but, but please, God, save me. I, I'm begging you. I'm requesting it of you. Will you save me? And immediately, as Boaz did, redemption is guaranteed. Now, Boaz couldn't guarantee redemption through him. Jesus guarantees redemption exactly through him. But redemption is guaranteed through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have 
absolute certainty that if we would go to Jesus and if, if God has initiated our salvation and we've requested our redemption, that God is gracious to save all who would ask, right? This is, this is you know, not willing that any should perish, that all should come repent. But the idea is that God is saving souls today. All right, this parable in, in the book of Ruth, which, which they didn't understand, right, that God is telling a bigger picture. You might ask yourself, why does a love story get tucked away in your Bible uh, for, for you know, thousands of years? The, the reason is because it tells us about God. It tells us about God, and ultimately it describes some of the ways that Jesus is working salvation, and mankind, your, your, your redemption is guaranteed. Right, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's why we do baptismal questions, right? When I get Mackenzie up there, I'm like, I'm going to ask you some questions. And if you answer them wrong, we've got to leave the tub. But if you answer them right, right if you answer them right, right I'll, I'll, I'll dang near drown you and we'll have a good time. Right? Right? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it's not you could be saved. It's not you might be saved. It's not if you know, the stars are aligned properly, you'll be saved. It's you will be saved. Right? If you'll confess, if you believe, you'll be saved. If, and that's the idea. Ruth requested. She, she says, redeem me in that moment. Boaz says, you will be redeemed. And her, and her redemption was, was kind of this already but not yet future redemption. Like she was redeemed, fully redeemed, in the moment that she laid down and she requested it. And Boaz said, you will be redeemed. She was redeemed. It's a Schrodinger cat sort of thing, I guess. She is redeemed, but it's not fully realized. Until that moment, until the marriage takes place, which we'll see, you know, spoiler alert, there's going to be a marriage at the end of this, okay? Um, now y'all aren't going to come next week, and I just gave it all away. That was man, a bad choice by me. Now, guys, uh, there's this, this idea that, that, that you're redeemed, and then there's this future redemption as well. We live in that middle period as Christians. Like, your redemption is secure. If, you've, if God has initiated your salvation and your redemption, if you've requested your redemption, if Jesus has guaranteed your redemption, your redemption is certain and sure, but it's not fully realized until the other side of eternity. Right? Until we get to that other eschaton. It's not that there's no purpose in the redemption now. In fact, there is. Right? You can live out the life of a saved believer. You have the seal of the Holy Spirit right, coming in you, filling you, giving you... Um, you know, the indwelling presence of God inside of you. What a, what a wonderful, powerful thing. But your redemption isn't, isn't fully, fully realized till the other side where you get this, this picture, this, this wedding banquet that takes place, this new heaven, this new earth, this thing that we see promised in the future. But it's just as real the day it starts as it will be then because the promise is secure. Right? Boaz's word was good. He's, he's going to make good on it. Naomi says, look, oh, well, he brought this. He's going to make good on that. He didn't just give you six measures of grain, right? And has no purpose for that. Right? He's going to make good on that promise. And so some of us, like, like, like we've, we've walked that path of salvation, right? We, we, the Holy Spirit, our God, initiated inside of our hearts this, this draw to salvation. We recognize that we're sinners. We recognize that we're wayward. We recognize there's no hope in trying to live a godly life because we stink at living a godly life. 
And then we go to God and we get to the end of ourselves and we try everything else. And we say, Lord, save me. Like Peter sinking down into the waters. He's walking on the water, sees the waves around him, which is kind of creepy. Begins to sink down. Lord, save me. Jesus reaches down, grabs him, pulls him out in that moment. We request salvation and our salvation is granted and guaranteed in that moment. If that's you today, I praise God for you. What what a beautiful picture that is. If that's your story, you need to tell somebody that story. You know, when I talk to people for for baptism, I go through a number of things. One of the things, I go through an acronym about what it means to follow Christ. And I use like the word grow as the acronym. And so it's go to church. That's that's one. You say, well, that seems kind of stupid. Kind of like, no, 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 go to church. Because if you're in church, you're with people, you'll be encouraged. You'll be lifted up. It'll keep you you going where you want to. Read your Bible. Why? Because it's God's word, right? Obey what the Bible says. This is the tough one. Um, We can read the Bible. We don't really like obeying what it says. And then witness to others. That's W. Go to church, read your Bible, obey and witness. There it is. Grow right there. Witness to others. And what do you witness? You witness the salvation that God has given to you. And you share that with other people. And your story may not be be, be the greatest story. I was telling teenagers at Staple Now, you don't have to have answers to every question that's going to be asked. You have to know everything that someone's going to ask you. People will push back. Well, what about this issue? Well, how has this happened? Well, the Bible says it was this year, and then there was this year. You don't have to answer to every question people have. But what you know, you're responsible to witness to. And so go bear witness. And if you don't have an answer to someone's question, like tell them, I don't know. I'll look into it and then try to get an answer. And if you can't get an answer, say, I don't know. Maybe God will make that clear to me one day. I don't know yet. Right? You don't have to know the answer to every question. It's not Bible trivia. Right? Witness. Tell people what God's done. Was there a moment in your life where, where you were lost, where you had no hope, where you were like Ruth, and your life was just a, 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 a slog of hopelessness over and over again, and then God, in His infinite wisdom, initiated salvation for you. If there was, then you can remember who you were before and who God made you into. Go tell somebody that story. Right? The gospel hasn't lost its power. Right? Your, your, your friends aren't too far gone. Your family members aren't too far gone. Those sin is not so great that God's grace can't, can't, can't cover it. God is still initiating salvation and people that we, we have written off long ago, go witness to those people. And if you're not a believer today, I want you to know that God is still drawing people to his kingdom today. He's calling people to, 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 to salvation. He's calling people. He's initiating your redemption process and uh, trying to make clear to you who he is. If you don't know about that, if you want to know more about that, I would love to talk to you about that. I would love to talk to you about that. But guys, I love the book of Ruth because it points out, it draws this picture of redemption. And for Ruth, it's her life, it's her livelihood, it's, it's a future for her and her family's name, or her mother-in-law's name in this case. It's, it's a future um, that, that's different. For us, it's the exact same thing. It's our life, it's our livelihood, it's a future for us as well. I pray that you have that future. I pray that your redemption is secure. I pray that you know God through, through, through His Son so that you can have a certain and sure redemption. And I pray that for you today. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you uh, that you are a good, gracious, loving, holy.